to the Teacher Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Zach Reznicek. Join us as we shine light on the passionate work and cutting-edge techniques of the most playful educators on the planet. Marianne Cullinan hails from New Hampshire, USA, where she proudly teaches middle school in the same community she grew up in. With an undergraduate degree in linguistics and cognitive sciences and a master's in teacher peer leadership, both from Brandeis University, she is finishing up her PhD in education at Lesley University in Boston. With over 18 years of teaching experience, she has been working with and advocating for RPGs in schools for about five years now, bringing it into her enrichment program alongside improv, simulations, and theater. A true teacher gamer, if there ever was one, Marianne works at Great Brook Middle School in New Hampshire where she teaches photography, ancient warfare, DMs Guild, theater, costume design, anatomy, and physiology, and she's responsible for both math enrichment and math remediation, directs the middle school play, and produces the Daily Announcements TV show. With currently over 65 kids in her Heroes Hall after school D&D club, Marianne's favorite RPGs are Mouse Guard, To Serve Her Wintry Hunger, and Kids on Bikes. Thanks again to John Schroeder for his music on the podcast. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. Good morning, good afternoon. Where are you today, Marianne? Hello. My name is Marianne Cullinan, as said, or Calliope, and I live in Antrim, New Hampshire. USA, which is a very small town in New Hampshire, which is in New England. So if you like looked at America and thought of it as a turtle, I live in the head in the Northeast. How far kind is of that in the from, neck. from the, the White Mountains? A couple hours, not much. Have you spent time in there? Yeah, for sure. I'm like maybe two hours Southwest. I'm in sort of the South of southwesterny bit of new hampshire it's such a treasure that well we are in the part of the year right now where it isn't snowing but the leaves are gone so we're in a period of sort of watchful waiting in which everything is getting a little colder and darker all of the time but we're not quite in festive holiday season yet okay and uh so i we had a teacher gamer meetup last weekend and uh, Peter Young uh, talked a bit about a project or two that you've done. And um, I believe you were at PAC, what's it called, PAX? Yeah, so I'm a middle school teacher mm-hmm. and I like to use role-playing games in my classroom awesome. and just sort of in general with middle schoolers because middle school itself is like one giant role-playing game for kids and that's ages 10 to 14 where I am. And so um, Peter and I were on a panel together at PAX West and it's the Penny Arcade Expo. It's all sorts of different kinds of games, video games, role-playing games. And I'm about to complete the quadrifecta of PAX having spoken at PAX East, PAX Online, PAX West, and now PAX Unplugged, the crown jewel. Because that's the one that's all about game, like board games and 
tabletop games. So I'm very excited about it. Wow. That sounds uh, really exciting. And, and hopefully one day I will, I will, I'm sure I will be attending that soon. Hopefully that sounds. Uh, yeah. When the world gets a little less crazy, maybe. Right. Um, uh, let's see, I'm getting PhD. Okay. So that's actually, so I'm speaking with you from my parents' house because tomorrow I have the day off for veterans day in America. And um, I am spending the night here working on my PhD work uh, because I also have three small children, well, medium-sized children, and um, many extra neighborhood children in my home tonight. So I, my husband is uh, sort of cat herding, and I am here cranking out some good work nice. on well, how to battle systemic racism. Ooh. So, Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time uh, out of this busy schedule and um, a really important uh, work. I, I hope one day to do the same. I did do a master's in education where uh, that it took me five years and I spent a, the last three of it really in writing the thesis. So I, I feel for you. And well, I want to put in a plug, Leslie University in Massachusetts, you should check it out. We've got international, tons of international students in like Israel and um, Nigeria and everywhere. What's Somebody's- the, How do you spell in, the, the name of it? L-E-S-L-E-Y, Leslie. Okay. Okay. And it's super progressive and interested in, in all sorts of different ways to make academia not be colonializing and be sort of you know, help the world. So I love Leslie University, even though they don't give me any financial aid. <laughs> I'm not saying that to protect financial aid. That is my own, my own opinion. Well, that's a beautiful so, thing. Yes. Do you want to talk a little bit or say a little bit about your, your thesis? I'm definitely interested to hear, hear more about it. Well, I'm not really there yet. I'm mm -hmm. um, finishing up I'm in my second year of my required classes. And so I've got about a year to go. Um, it'll be about two and a half years total. But what I'm really interested in is I, I came with the observation that role-playing games are very useful for my students. That not only from a sort of social emotional place and a leadership place and a community place, all of those are very important, but also from a content place, there were ways to use role-playing games to get kids to interact with content in a deeper way than they would normally. So now what? How do we do that on purpose and not just stumble into it because it seemed fun? Right. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. So what exactly my thesis is, I don't actually know yet. Um, this summer, some friends and I helped me with an independent study where we um, banked through 10 different non-D20 indie game systems in 10 weeks. And we're looking for like, what could we use in a classroom? Like things that we thought might be useful in a classroom setting. And one of the things we discovered was there were lots of things that were useful, potentially useful, but that we really lacked the vocabulary to even talk about them cross-platform. It's very nebulous still. So I think my immediate project 
is to try to figure out, well, what are the components of games that are important versus nice to have in an educational setting? And that's sort of from the from a high lens of you know, content agnostic versus I'm not saying like, if you're going to be teaching about fish, you have to talk about scales, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, what sorts of character building or what sorts of dice rolling, like if you're trying to get different aspects of growth from your students, you know, what kinds of mechanics would be useful and conducive to that. So that's kind of where my brain is right now, but the next time you talk to me, it'll probably be somewhere else. Yeah, I was going to say that it sounds like game mechanics or like you're trying uh, the ability to identify. And that just made my mind go into what would be the different kind of characteristics of, of finding the right vocabulary, semantics and um, around discussing games for for education. Uh, yeah. yeah. So in. In recreational therapy and some other places, they have activity analysis, which is this idea that, you know, if you're trying to teach someone, I don't know, like hand-eye coordination, you're not going to do swimming. You might try throwing a ball, right? There are certain activities, but that doesn't make swimming any less inherently useful to the world. It's just not the right thing. Now, and, and I do notice that, you know, right now, there's this huge resurgence of D&D and D&D being used in therapeutic settings, but it's not really for that. That's not necessarily the best system for those things. It's just the system we all know, right? right. So I'm trying to figure out how to, how to determine, well, what is the best system? And are there ways that we can steal components from lots of different ideas to create something that's really purposeful for students? So that's right. kind of what I'm working on in my brain that is great i i absolutely love it um that makes a lot of sense to me uh i don't know if you know that and it's really not about plugging it but um but i wrote this book called the teacher gamer handbook i have recently heard about that from the educational dm cool well yeah i i I kind of back designed it because i didn't really necessarily know what i was doing exactly but yeah. I knew that when I was given an opportunity to teach kids role-playing games, um, and as you say, I kind of took the popular one. I took Dungeons and Dragons, and it was more than anything um, because I was given a population of students who uh, the school w- was struggling with, and they said, you know, can somebody do something with these kids? And I said, and yeah. And then they, you know, I said, what do you want me to do? Because I was very open to kind of create or, or do whatever they actually thought would be good for them. And I have the mindfulness background uh, and literary background and media studies background and a lot, kind of a polymath background. And um, they said, we don't care. And then I, it was really kind of an, an intuitive thing. Of, and it kind of brought me back to my own childhood. Like what was getting me through my own behavior behavior problem ridden middle school and it was the role-playing games but of course they weren't in school so I I was like yeah you know what if I teach them Dungeons and Dragons and they were like we don't even care 
just do whatever mm-hmm. you want. And actually, so then I just went for it. But what was cool was now as an educator to sort of go, okay, how could I do it in not the usual way, which, which is that everybody sets about to like get through character making as fast as possible. I did the opposite. I thought like I'm a teacher now and they have to kind of do what I say, but I want to get them to co-create and I really want to flip this whole thing. And uh, so that's what um, created for me the, the 10 hour character build. And it was funny to do some podcasts with people and where it seems like right now, you know, they're trying to industry wise, figure out how to make characters the fastest that you can. You know, it's like as educators, that's not what we want at all. We're missing a huge opportunity. Right. Well, and it comes back to purpose, right? Yeah. And so I actually have an after school D&D club and the current count is 67. Yes. And so it is entirely run by students. I am sort of like the grand overseer and then, but they're the ones who are actually connecting at tables with each other. And so in that case, like I'm going to lose kids for 10 hours, 10 hours. No, that's not going to happen in a, in a classroom setting though. That's awesome. And way better. So, so with everything else, I always do think it comes back to like, what is the purpose? What is the goal? Sure. Right. And so, so I'm cranking through character creation with them now. And then as some of my new kids get, their feet underneath them and become more interested in character creation. I'm always like, yeah, go back, go back and redo it. I don't care. Right. You know, if you come in with a completely different character tomorrow, we'll just pretend that character has always been there. Right. That's yeah. This is, this is so interesting. And and you actually bring up a great point, which is how do you, well, you said herding cats about your own kids and, and the neighborhood kids, but yeah. How do you herd all those cats? How do you get, you know, 67 people to, in a room to be, um, and I think that that's been a kind of a systemic question around role-playing games in schools is how do you, how do you manage so many kids playing at the same time? Uh, one of the ideas is, and maybe you can talk to that, which is that you have kind of different, you have some veteran players and you have some newbies, but how do you, what happens if you get, you know, 35 kids uh, totally new and you don't have an assistant teacher you don't have a co-teacher and you don't have any veteran players any thoughts so i wouldn't run it that way from the beginning um so the way that we do it i'm an enrichment teacher and i have some flexibility in my schedule so i have 12 student dms anyone who wanted to could volunteer to be a dm not all of them had even played before who cares we'll make it work and so we meet twice a week so we meet about 100 minutes a week to talk, it's leadership. It's first of all, it's just learning some of the basic mechanics, but I don't really care. Who cares? Who cares if they know all the mechanics, right? It's more about leadership and about making the table fun and and sort of imprinting the philosophy. And so, I mean, that's it, right? The ultimate goal is that everyone at the table is having fun. And so it doesn't actually, here's the secret. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about encumbrance. Nobody makes you actually use the like spell components to make the spell. Like what was all right? I mean, there's all these things that we sort of cheat on all the time, but everyone just sort of accepts. And then there's some rules that you're supposed to know. And do I want my kids to know them? Sure. If they screw it up, if everyone's having a good time, who cares? 
they're going to figure it out eventually, or their players will call them on it. And then that's a good learning experience too. So, so the way we do it is we start out at the beginning of the school year with anyone who wants to volunteer to do DMs Guild comes and does it. We spend about a month preparing. They get to make up their own stories. We do a little bit of a lesson every time. Um, and then we start and whoever we take whoever right now we have nine tables going, we're going to have to open up a 10th table pretty soon. And I have them mostly in pairs so that they have each other to lean on, um, DMs, to help. The, are they, yep. The DMs, the DMs are in pairs. Yeah. And then we have about four or five players per table, uh, typically, nice. uh, you know, some end up with six or whatever. It just sort of depends. And it's, um, I try to do, I try to make sure that the personalities work together and that I think people who are sort of either developmentally at the same place or have similar senses of humor or might want similar things are at the table. And then we spend time processing outside of the time, like what went well, what could we do differently? And then any questions we have um, about mechanics and things like that. But we also, it's important to me so I didn't play D&D as a kid because I was a girl in the 90s in New Hampshire and I was allowed to watch maybe or like date the boys who played. But like girls were not welcome at the table. So having a all gender inclusive table is very important to me and having an all everyone inclusive table is very important to me. And we do that by setting some really clear norms um, at the beginning. And, and so we have three main norms. One of them is good leaders need good followers and good followers need good leaders. And that means we're not, we can't do this without you table. Like you, ha- you come here to play with us, like to be led by these people, you have to let them. Like you don't get 67 kids to play by yelling at them and telling them they have to play. Like they have to come and buy in. Right. Sure. And in that same way, it's on the DMs to be ready because the tables are the most naughty when the DMs aren't ready because then they're just filling time. Right. So like that's on them. Um, And then we have um, actions have consequences is one of our norms in game and in real life. So, you know, if you are, if you do something stupid at the table in character, you will probably have to take the consequence for that. And if you do some something stupid at the table as a person, you'll have to take the consequence for that. And then the last one is we're all here to have fun. So let's work together um, so that we don't take it too seriously. And we do a lot of team building. Um, we just got through the first. So we always start with the Laureate Trial by Monique Franson. It's on DMs, whatever. In the DMs guild, it might be in um, drive through DM. It's great. It's this cute little adventure for new DMs and new um, players. And it has like a whole room that's just like checks, ability checks, and then one that's a puzzle and then there's fighting. So it sort of slowly builds. Mm-hmm. And once you do that, you get your own D20 and you become an official member of Heroes Hall. And we, we roll out a purple paper and we have our throne and you walk down the purple paper in character and everyone cheers for you. And then you kneel down and your DM knights you with a dragon and gives you a D20 of your own. 
Awesome. Yes. I love it. That sounds amazing. You have definitely inspired me with that. So it's, it, there's ritual and, you know, um, and when we have fan art that people make of their own or other mm-hmm. characters, we put that up on the bulletin board next to the norms. And um, at the end, we often share something really great that happened at your table or so. At the end of each session or at the yeah. end? Okay. At the end of each session, um, they often do it at the table, but then we'll, I'll say, hey, what's something great that happened at your table? You know, just as we come back together. How long is this session? Uh, we have from 2.30 to 4. Okay. So. 90 minutes. And, and did they, did they, uh, what's the feeling? I mean, how do you, how do you only do 90 minutes? That's my question. I think 90 minutes is okay for this age group. Yeah. Especially when they're running it themselves. Right. Um, that's about, they need to take, often they need a break about halfway through to just go run around for a minute. Yeah. Um, 45 in 45 minutes, they need a break. Yeah. They go take a lap around the gym or something. And then, um, you have to imagine with 67 kids we're sort of spread out over the entire school we can't all be in the cafeteria i mean we could but then we'd have to whisper so i sort of have like tables of kids stashed everywhere so you're just walking through the school kind of mm-hmm. visiting yeah nice. and and i kind of imagine uh at least my experience in in uh in kids dming um there get to be some situations that happen uh that have the consequences you were talking about yeah. Just to share um, maybe uh, one or two, one that kind of went pretty badly and how it ended. And then maybe even one that uh, went pretty badly, but how it kind of found a silver lining or how you got through it. I'd love to hear any actual real stories. It'd be great. Sure. Well, I think the one that we're currently working on, like my, my most current conundrum that is not solved is I have a table of sixth graders who are all 11 and they have two DMs and the stronger DM, see, we have COVID here still. I don't Mm. know if you have COVID, but we do, was out for COVID testing. And so the less experienced DM was there, but also a couple people were missing from the table and he got really thrown as to what to do because he couldn't um, figure out, like he didn't want to, move the plot forward without everybody. Right. We got really stuck. And so I realized that that was partially my fault, mostly my fault for not giving them the, like, what is that your plan B? So we worked on that today. Like, what will you do if your partner's missing mm-hmm. or your ta- half your table's missing? And so we came up with these side quests about going to the store or whatever. But the big <laughs> problem was he's this little boy was like, what do you do if you're, if your players won't listen to you and which is fair and they don't listen to him very well because he's figuring out how to be a leader and, and, you know, he's using that support of the other DM and of me and and he's going to get there and he's going to be great when he's in eighth grade, he's going to be a fabulous DM, but that's how you get there. And so this child who um, they, are sort of goth and like have a lot of personal like gravitas and wear like extremely large boots uh, was like, well, when my players act stupid, I pull out the D4 and I say, shut up. 
or I'm going to take away hit points for your sheer stupidity. And it's a table of eighth graders and they all find that hilarious. Right. So, but this, <laughs> we tried it on other sixth graders and then one cried. So, you know, there are some things that just don't translate. He's like, I guess I'm not going to do that again. I'm like, yeah, probably yeah. not. So he's a work in progress and they all are, but that's, that's okay. That's why, that's why we do this. Um, but I think the actions have consequences works out really well when you get kids who just want to murder everything. I don't know around here, like in the, in the States, we call them, them murder hobos. Yeah. 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 And uh, although I like murder jerks or murder tourists better, um, and they just want to go around and like murder tourism, everything. Right. And so having action, that's where actions have consequences come from. And I ask my DMs to really hold them to the consequences of their actions. So that's caused a lot of grief short-term and a lot of growth long-term in players when they realize it's not as fun to burn down the orphanage when the police come and put you in jail for the rest of the session. And do they put them in jail or can they kill them? Um, They don't typically kill them, but they could. And can I they mean, die? What happens when a, when a character dies? I mean, you just make a new character, but then we'll no, talk but they about did, it. Like, they're dead. Is that like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, plot death. I mean, not right away. We've only had a few sessions. We haven't killed off anybody yet this year, but, but usually kids, it doesn't usually come to that because mm-hmm. usually they get it after a while too, that this is collaborative storytelling and it can't be collaborative if all you're doing is killing everyone. Well, right. But everybody, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was to say, so, so yeah, I mean, are they actually, yeah. And, and how, let me just transition. Um, I mean, even the concept of murder tourism um, and, you know, trolling murderous hobos and adventurers who are just seeking uh, hack and slash. And, and even though we, you know, we can try to set it up as puzzles and things like that. What are the, what are the parents feeling about some of the things that they hear going on um which does tend eventually i would say in a lot of settings especially with dungeons and dragons to to be talking about killing battles weapons what what's what's your uh community's reaction to that they don't really care i mean the thing that's so great is that i mean i'm sure they care but what's great is Every year I have more parents who are like, oh, I played D&D or I wanted to play D&D or I know what that is. You know, now Stranger Things has been out. It People aren't as worried about it as they were. Yeah. And what they see is their kid really excited to come home and to tell this ridiculous story about, you know, the real housewives of Crab City. And like, you know, I, I, there, there is violence and that is part of the fun is, you know, the cartoony violence of D&D. But I also think a lot of that comes from, does come from the DM. You know, the very first story that's in the starter, the, the first scene of the first story in the starter kit you buy at Target, the Lost Minds of Fandelver, you are killing goblins. 
like in the published thing, you like literally go to their house and kill them. (laughs) Like, cause you're right. You're like, Hey guys. And then you kill everybody. And so, I mean, that is a conversation that over time I have with my students because it's fun to kill things. And, and when you're uh, 12 to pretend to kill things and be able to run roughshod over the world because you are 12 years old and don't get to make a lot of your own decisions. And your sense of humor is very um, punch up at authority and, you know, slapstick and, you know, screw the man, man. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) But then you need your mom to drive you there. Uh, So you can't like be too screw the man because then your mom won't drive you the way you need to go. Um, You know, so so some of that I think is just really natural. yeah go ahead yeah so i think but it it does play out like the more when the more they get invested into their characters and their world i think the less they're just doing that yeah i also find that when you do a 10-hour character build and then all of a sudden there's a a threat of you actually dying or you start like the actual mortality feeling of something that you put into it um comes around i wanted to actually address that a little further into something that um I'm not necessarily, I'm, I'm not coining it, but I, I, I think about it a lot um, and, and wondering what you think about it or if you've come across the, the idea of kind of metaphoric thinking, right? Because as you just described, there's this whole thing going on with um, who you are as a player and then who you are as a character and your kind of identity uh, and, and what I would call this kind of golden moment sometimes where you're really feeling the difference between or experiencing something consequentially in game that's also happening in your life out game. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So um, the sort of like granddaddy of D and D studies is this guy, Gary Allen fine. And back in the like early eighties, he wrote this book called oh, shared fantasy or something. And it was like the first time he's like a social researcher and he's done ones on like books on uh, little league and stuff like all sorts of these little subcultures. And he probably coined, I think he's the one who coined this phrase or at least popularized it in the research I'm looking at, which is called frame shifting. And it's this idea that you have several frames that you're thinking in at the same time. You're thinking in the frame as like your character there's the frame of you yourself. There's often a frame too that's like the strategic player. The metagamer, right? kind of, you mean? Yeah. I yeah, mean, there's always a metagamer in there. Sure. And, and so shifting back and forth between those, I think that's a lot of what the D&D therapy people are trying to do. And I mean, obviously sure. I am not a D&D therapist, so I can't speak to this in any great detail, but it's that thing of like, when you have a success as a party, you can say, wow, you guys did it. You're so great. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. What teamwork, you're amazing. And then when you have a failure, you can say something like, wow, your character must be really frustrated, right? And so you're pulling them apart and then pushing them together at different times. So you can feel the successes that your character feels, but when it comes time to feel the disappointment, there is a separation. It isn't real. You know, yeah. So, and and, and, and you, 
Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, please I keep think, going. So that's my understanding of where a lot of that like D&D therapy research is at right now is sort of using those different frames purposefully to sort of help address things. Um, and I think, I think for my purposes in school, in class, it all has to come back to content. You know, all the other pieces are also very, very important, but what shifts it from being like a fun thing to an educational thing is the focus on content. And so if I can get you to frame shift out of a like sort of passive student, like I have to learn this too. I want to learn this because I'm helping my character and middle schoolers love to be helpful or I'm being successful or I'm winning. Um, you know, that's the sort of shift I need from them there. And then I think in Heroes Hall, the after school club, really what I'm trying to do is build shared experiences so that they can come together as groups, right? My ultimate goal is to put myself out of business, that when they leave, they go and do D&D on their own, right? Like, like yeah, I, I don't, being an eighth grader in middle school doing playing D with your teacher is like not the pinnacle of your life. Like go, go out there and do your own stuff, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and yeah. So how do you, how do you train everybody up in, does everybody get a chance to be a DM or it's more, as you say, a kind of a leadership class that, that some people, and the other thing I wanted to ask about that is can, can peers be DMs or do you normally have like older kids being DMs of younger kids? Um, it's definitely both. Okay. So I wouldn't put fifth and sixth graders in charge of eighth graders in general, just because that's too hard and developmentally they're at different places. But I have some tables that are run by seventh and eighth graders that have all seventh and eighth graders or sixth, seventh and eighth graders in them. And then some of the younger kids run it for the other younger kids. And then I have a couple eighth graders who have much younger groups as well. I have one eighth grader who is an expert. He's just kind of chaotic. I just love him, but he's just kind of chaotic. And he does a really good job at just sort of like shepherding um, groups of young players who are often boys who really just want to hack and slash the entire world. And he does too. And everybody's happy. The whole table's happy. They're just going around, I don't know, causing chaos. And so <clears throat> at school, you, I mean, you said you run this at school. Is this, to be really clear, um, what's the difference between what you're doing and another after school program in quotes, or is this actually in the curriculum and where does it sit? Does it sit in literacy? Does it sit in media? Does it sit in SEL, uh, or does it sit in PBL? And for our listeners, that would be social emotional learning or project based learning. Where does this, where does it sit in the curriculum for you? Yes. Yes. All to of all those that, things. Right. Okay. Um, so How I'm really lucky. I'm, I'm really lucky. I have, I'm the enrichment teacher and I have a lot of freedom in what I do. It came from, um, gifted and talented when that was like a big thing in the early nineties here. Um, which I find really gifted and talented programming very problematic for a lot of reasons. And I don't do it that way anymore. Anyone who wants to be part of it can be because everyone has gifts and talents. 
not everyone does not need to be reading Othello in seventh grade. So they can then read it again in 10th grade. Um, true story. Uh, and so I, the actual club after school is Fridays after school. Um, the Heroes Hall. The content-based stuff that I do is in my classroom in lieu of other curriculum. I mean, it's the same curriculum. I'm just delivering it through a role-playing game. Different content. And then, and then DMs Guild is its own little workshop class that meets twice a week as an enrichment activity. So my whole program, I have about half the school. Um, we have about 245 kids in our school. Um, and I have about half of them in, who have self-selected into my program. And I pull them out um, a couple times a week and they, to do various classes with me. And so DM's Guild is one of those. It meets um, 100 minutes a, a week. And anyone who wants to can be in DM's Guild. I have a couple of fifth graders in there who aren't really, well, sixth graders too, who aren't really ready to be DM's. Um, so like one of them is interning with one of my eighth graders. Okay. Too, you so, know what I mean? There are like, if you're really not ready, we'll help you be successful in a different way and we'll get you there. So that's a kind of mentorship program as well that you got. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So you've actually had, it sounds like the latitude to, to, um, well, I mean, the word enrichment says a lot to me, um, but it sounds like you're, you're able to go and put different pieces together all around the curriculum that, that support it. And then can you talk a little bit how that supports the rest of the school's curriculum? Sure. So, I mean, I think there's two different things happening here. So the actual Heroes Hall program, I mean, I've, I just told you there's 245 kids in our school, 67 of whom play D&D after school. That's like a lot of kids, yeah. right? And every one of those kids now has like a better connection to school and other kids of other ages and is more friendly in the hallway and happier to be there and shows up on Fridays and blah, blah, blah. Right. And is learning all of the things we know role-playing games do. And so that's sort of an indirect effect. And I have 12 kids who are now sort of leaders in the school in a way they never were before. And that's another sort of indirect effect. When I am doing curriculum-based role-playing games. Like last year, I taught exclusively science. And so we, I had a little role-playing game um, that was very heavily inspired by the RPG Mouse Guard. And it was called the Explore Core. And it was a biology, biology and sort of like kingdoms of life and genetics and all that was the curriculum for eighth graders. And so we made a little mouse and the little mouse was like exploring the world and different things would happen. And so you were helping your mouse like become a full member of the Explore Corps and, right. And so, so I think that set of structures allows for a kind of engagement for kids who are not necessarily as interested in the curriculum itself, right? So I feel like, the big thing that my programs do is they help middle schoolers feel engaged and connected. And that is absolutely something that must occur for anything else to occur for middle schoolers. Like if they don't feel engaged, connected and valued and important, like they might as well just stay home because that's how much they learn. So 
And um, I have a, that leads me to a quick question about gamification. What you described, I'm trying to understand is um, using mouse guard and using a character there, are you, would you say you're gamifying or would you say you're creating a role-playing game uh, and that is other limit? Yeah, just if you could speak about gamification because I struggle well, with Well, so that's another good question. And this winter, my qualitative research class study is going to be finding a ton of people who consider themselves gamified teachers and figuring out what that actually means. Cause that word gets thrown around a lot. Right. And this is not like leaderboards in the back of the classroom with who has the most points and guilds. This isn't using class dojo to like punish kids <laughs> with a sticker chart. That's digital with like a cute little guy. Right. right? The meritocracy. Um, yeah. Like this, this is like a modified role-playing game where you come in and, and when we are playing it, you are this character. Okay. That's right? so that to me, that's RPGs in schools and that's not yeah, for game, sure. just, just for gamification. Sure. Right. Right. Well, I don't think there's a, like, does that fall under gamification? I don't sure. like it to me, me personally. I, I mean, can, if it, I just, I, I feel like there's too much of what the other thing that you, that you talked about. And then I, I love the fact that you're, you're working to kind of clarify that because it just feels too wishy-washy. I feel like it's I feel super like, wishy-washy. Yeah. yeah. But then there are people like, Oh, I forget what her name is, but there's this neat math teacher on Twitter who she's doing a gamified classroom, I think is what she would call it, but it's, sort of role play game light because you're all pretending to be zombie apocalypse survivors and so like all the math things are things like figuring out how much food you have for the winter or what the catapult trajectory would be or like right she figures out sort of real life uses for things and that's so it's not, thematic. It's not it's more thematic it's a thematic thing right, right. okay so it's it's not role-playing in that each person has a distinct character but you are still playing a role so i mean i feel like there's a lot of wishy-washiness there that i'm trying to untangle as well i'm really uh, i'm really liking this conversation and i, I want to ask in advance because i think we're gonna we're gonna stop in about five or ten minutes but um would you would would you be interested in continuing to talk on these lines because i'm really oh, yeah, fascinated sure. with the things you're your, oh my gosh, uh, I would love that. I always, I really so love to co-think with other people. And I um, I feel like probably my husband's really bored of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> so <laughs> my poor patient husband. Um, How old yeah, are your kids? So I have a 12 and a half year old, a 10 year old and a seven and a half year old. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, go ahead. My daughter, my oldest daughter is uh, an amazing human being. She is a DM. She, oh, she's a very successful DM. She used, she used last Heroes Hall to, she and her friends were worried that 
there was some unkind behavior towards some of the other LGBTQ kids in our school. So she went and went around and got everybody to wear pride stuff on Monday to show solidarity with each other. And it was extremely successful and I'm very proud of her. So I'm coming off a very proud parent moment. Um, But I, you know, I love role-playing games can be a very safe space for kids who are figuring out all sorts of different kinds of things about gender and sexuality and who they are in the world. Um, So it's exciting. And then my son is a fifth grader and he's a spitfire and he has bright red hair down to his shoulders and he's playing D and D. Um, And he is in the group of um, chaotic murder tourists and he's having a great time being in middle school. And my little daughter is a spitfire. Watch out world. And she is deaf in one ear and she um, is extremely loud and extremely forceful and extremely imaginative. So once we can actually get her to agree to following any of the rules, I think she'll be a better player. But right now she just does what she she wants. Um, I highly recommend No Thank You Evil as a wonderful starter role-playing game that I can play with all three of my children and my husband. We all play together uh, when we're on vacation or something. And uh, the little one will sometimes follow the rules if it's convenient for her. Actually, I want to ask you about that that and so many uh, more things. So I'm glad that we're, we're going to do this again because um, I would definitely like to go deeper with you about it. Um, evil characters, do you allow them to make them? Um, the rule, yes and no. The rule is your character has to want to be there. Okay. Right? I don't care if you're not a great person, but you have to want to be part of the group in some way. You can't be actively working against the group because that's a that's a crappy story. Interesting. And what is evil? That's a whole other. What what does that mean? Evil. Well, I have a real problem with evil alignment. I think it's selfish, like sort of more self-centered towards more group center. I mean, who among us decides what is evil? Zach, like orcs, orcs can't all be evil. They can't be an evil race. That's racist. You know, drows, are they evil? Or is it just because they're ladies? By the way, would drows who live under the ground all the time have dark skin or pale skin? To me, I always thought of them as pale skin. Right. Well, but I mean, come on. Where is the inherent, you know, the the systemic racism, Zach, of, of having one or like the misogyny of having one woman centered race that's all inherently evil and eats their own babies. I mean, come on. Boys made that up. Girls didn't make that up. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, how can you just kill goblins who speak languages and have a culture? Like, so when, I don't know, when they kill goblins at my house and they loot the body, they find the they find the the like pictures of all their children. That's right. That's a world's well best dad. Oh well man, I, I, I'm only making 12 bucks an hour at this stupid job guarding this thieves temple. I can't wait till I can take my kids to Disney World. <laughs> well, 
Well, you know, that this definitely, I would love to talk to you more about this. Oh, we're going to have so much to talk about forever and ever. I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, it's an interesting thing uh, because yeah, you're getting to the root, the root of all the evil perhaps. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But when it comes down to alignment, gosh, I'm, I'm, holding my tongue here i it's like it's burning all the things i want to say right now um maybe we should we should leave it uh there so we'll, it, to be continued yeah dear listeners dear listeners absolutely because i think we'll, I, we should have a focus we'll have a focus on evil races and uh yeah where evil comes from uh conversation totally in in uh in closing uh, thanks again for coming out to the Teacher Gamer podcast, and really great to meet you. And I'm very excited that we seem very um, aligned in a lot of things. And I work in the, with the same age kids. I work with ten to fourteen is my main yeah my main too. cohort uh, for the last seven or eight years. And um, any final uh, any final thoughts or words of wisdom? Um, for other teacher gamers, especially those who are thinking about making that jump, uh, you know, either crossing the line of being a subject teacher to to try to bring role-playing games into their classrooms or into their schools or to approaching their admins or to approaching their community. What, what are your thoughts in terms of, especially for new new teacher gamers or people who are just trying to get that part of their career going? So this is um, like way more than I can sum up in two short finishing sentences, but I would say go for it, right? Make, but you have to make sure it makes sense. So we always go back to what is the goal and then how do we get to the goal and how do we design what we're doing to reach that goal, right? So if you're doing something and you think that a role-playing game, even if it's a short-term couple-day thing, one class period, it doesn't have to be your entire semester the first time. If you think that's going to help with engagement and retention or whatever of content, do it. But don't just do it to do it. I mean, there are classes that I teach that are not role-playing games because they don't need it. Got so it. so it's always we always come back to purpose. That's why we're here. All right, Marianne Kalinan, thanks so much for your time. Good luck on your thesis. Thank you. Anytime. And, Thank you for uh, helping me procrastinate from doing my homework. Yes. All right. Take I care. will talk to you later. Bye. Have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed the Teacher Gamer Podcast, a Wild Mind Training production, text and production copyright 2021 and 22 by Wild Mind Training for Teacher Gamer Revolution. All rights reserved.